0: Welcome to Questions from the Closet. I'm Charlie Bird, And I'm Ben Shiladi. Each episode, we discuss a question that we commonly get asked as LGBTQ plus Larry Saints.
1: We're not trying to answer this question or come to a consensus, but simply sharing our perspectives. Today's question is,
0: what if a loved one insists I leave the church? So Charlie and I are not terribly diverse and we share many opinions and life experiences. For example, we both had dinner at the Olive Garden tonight. However, there are some pretty big differences. For example, Ben really was against the Olive Garden, <laughs> which was very
1: interesting considering he ate half the place. <laughs> hey. he, was like, he was like, I don't like their salad. I don't like the soup. I don't like their breadsticks. Okay, well, I don't... get there and he's like, can we get some more breadsticks, please? <laughs> if you're paying
0: for it, you got to eat it. <laughs> you I've never seen anyone eat that many breadsticks. Well, I had four breadsticks. That's not that many i think you had a lot more than no four. no we got two baskets of breadsticks. <laughs> you got four baskets no, we got two baskets of breadsticks <laughs> which is the deal no, they each had three of them and i had four and you had one and a half i'm really i love that you liked it it was just funny because you're like i really don't want to go there and you're like this is great no here's the thing the food there is fine you're like i'd just rather go somewhere else yeah, I hadn't that's been there. Cheap though, I hadn't been there in a long time. Yeah, but you can like get a better tasting meal somewhere else for the same price. Really? Like where? Like Aubergine. I love that place. Really? Yeah, I like it. But I feel like it's expensive there. It is, but so it is the all guard. You have to tip them. Mm, that's true. Yeah. Anyway, I think it's fine. So <laughs> you loved it. I I loved having dinner with you. That was a real. <laughs> that was the real treat. I, I would go anywhere to dinner with you, Charlie. Anyway, we like to provide a variety of voices and perspectives on our show, and today
1: we're happy to be joined by Troy Williams. Hey, yeah. so, hey guys! How how are you?
2: We're so glad you're here, Troy. It's so bizarre to be back in the closets.
0: Oh yeah, uh-huh. right. yeah. I know. Yeah. We
2: got some it's... questions here. It's been a Ooh. while. How old were you when you came out? Oh my gosh, twenty was well, phases, right? So yeah, like, for like, sure, like twenty nine, like initially. And really? Pretty right. Right. Yeah, 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 yeah. That was so, like right? four yeah. years ago. Yeah, four years ago. Yeah, and then like, <laughs> and I've done a lot since then. But, <laughs> but it was in phases. But I didn't I like, talked to my parents about it till a few years later, and yeah, so it was, uh, you know, you kind of had this sort of awakening and then you like sort of talk, t- t- take those first steps out. But I was very afraid that the moment that I came out that I would lose my family forever. Yeah, for sure. And so there was that, there was much so such a delay in doing that with them. Um, so yeah. no, pr- no pressure there. I know. Just, right. Just might lose your family forever. You might lose your family <laughs> <NDD>. forever. <laughs> and, and tell us just a bit about yourself. Like what you do professionally. What you do. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I'm actually a professional gay I am gay for a living. Um, I am the executive director of Equality Utah, and we are the state's LGBT advocacy organization. So I work on Capitol Hill to ensure that the laws in our state include and protect LGBTQ Utahns and our families. I asked, so yeah, and have any general authorities ever quoted you? Yes, <laughs> true. <laughs> this is this is true. I have been quoted um, <laughs> positively. I might add uh, by um, uh, President Dale uh, H. Oaks, and uh, I, this is a great thing for my family because I, I, I have very conservative relatives, and they like sometimes like to debate me on on political things in when we're having like, you know holiday meals, and when it gets as one does as one does, and they're all like Saints. loudy Thanksgiving right. <laughs> right and and so but but if they do like start to like you know like pile on me i will say um, excuse me uh how many of you here have been quoted by an apostle and then they you know they're like oh 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 well, well fine everyone backs right. away you're right so i'm like yeah so it gave me a lot of status with my with my cousins and my aunts and uncles what got you <laughs> into advocacy work well um i think it Really, my gosh, this is over two decades ago. I mean, it was really, I think, falling in love for the first time and falling in love with a boy for the first time. Mm-hmm. Um, and then realizing how like beautiful that was um, to actually have this experience where you are immersed in another human being and your heart opens up and it's this mutual um, sort of frequency of support, which is so beautiful. Yeah. And, and I remember when... The state um, had passed what was called Amendment Three, and it was this is like what I want to say two thousand and one, two thousand two, maybe, and they they did they, the legislature passed an amendment to the state constitution. Uh, that said that even though gay marriage was not recognized or was illegal, that any form of same-sex relationship recognition would, be, um, uh, would, would, would not be recognized by the state. And then, it, and then it passed by referendum. It went to the ballot, and people voted overwhelmingly in support of this. And that was the first—it was such a shock to me that, that, that a state, a, a group of people, would put someone's civil liberties up to a vote and that they would actually vote against um my right and to, to love and to actually create enduring bonds with another person and that was so like kind of jolted me out of complacency and that was also kind of happening same time that like the Iraq war was you know 9/11 happened in 2001 and before you were born and um and then and then there was this this march to war after that, and, I, and so at that time, I started getting like, more politically active, and I started going to protests and rallies and marches, anti-war kind of stuff, and, and I started working at KRCO Radio, and I um, built a, a radio show called Radioactive. Solid title. Solid title, right? Very cool. Imagine right? yeah. and, and uh, Dragons used it a few years yeah. later. Yeah, <laughs> I know, I know. That's, I know. Thank you. You're welcome, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> um and, uh, no, yeah. So we, um, we, I never used that, that song as, as, as a theme song. I never did, but, um, I thought about it, but, but yeah. And so I started just getting into advocacy and I'd be interviewing like sort of like change makers and community builders and people who were doing really cool things. And so I thought, mm-hmm. oh, wait, I can do this too. I can organize a rally. I can organize a march. I can like, I can go protest. Mm-hmm. And so I, I had kind of, um, I, I so I, I got into like 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 sort of progressive activism but to take things back if I may yep. please do right um is that I actually got started in very conservative politics because I after I I I grew up in Oregon and I I, I went on my mission to the England Bristol mission and I went all 2 years everybody <laughs> okay and I made it through. And then I thought, well, when you come home off your mission, you're like, oh boy, like this is, you got to get married now, right? And when you're like right. gay, you're like, oh, that's oh, when it hits you, right? I mean, and you love the lot of chastity, right? Because it's so great because you can kind of hide behind it, right? Uh, right. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Oh, we're just going to hold hands. <laughs> did you, just, just, yes, that's all we're going to do, good boy. right? And um, I was very
0: respectful. Yeah,
2: right. Very respectful. And, it, you know, much to, to all the girls that I dated in Provo, I am so sorry. You know, it was not you. It was me. So let's be very clear about that. And I, I, I was so afraid of being gay um, that I ran to the thing which was farthest from. And I joined the Utah Eagle Forum. Interesting. Yeah. And so Gail Ruzica, who is the president, she was like my mentor. This is like in the, in the early 90s. And, you know, f- really right wing politics. And, and she was very influential on Capitol Hill. And so the first time I ever went to the Capitol was with Gail. Mm. And so, and so I thought it was kind of like a way. Could of, you explain what that is for listeners the, who don't know? So the, the Eagle Forum, yeah, or the Capitol. The Eagle Forum.
0: <laughs> so the Eagle Forum.
2: Building. Oh, got there. <laughs> it's a really big. It's where one. laws are made. Um. Yeah. So the Eagle Forum is a was was founded by a, a right wing crusader named Phyllis Schlafly who kind of trained Gil Rizica. And they kind of emerged during the equal rights uh, movement in the 70s as this kind of counter voice. And they were super conservative, pro-life, anti-gay, anti-LGBT in in a pretty pretty aggressive way. And so that's who I ran to because I thought if I really threw myself into conservative politics, that would would never catch up to you. It would
0: straighten me out. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And it, of course, didn't. So, Troy tell us what it was like when you started to realize that maybe there wasn't going to be a place for you to move forward in the church yeah and I don't know if that's why way you would ask that well, I mean it does start younger right i mean it,
2: it um I think what the the pain of it all is it, is is could well we'll back it up a little bit like there's nothing more powerful and and that that humans need but d- a deep sense of then a deep sense of belonging to something bigger than themselves. And so as a family unit or as a religious community or, you know, it's a sports, you know, fandom, whatever. But it's so important, like we need this sense of belonging to something. And so when you start to realize there's something about you that potentially can expel you from your tribe or your family, it becomes a very frightening, terrifying, you know. Possibility—that's yeah. existential. Like, I mean, like we are hardwired as human beings to have these deep, meaningful connections, and a, a lot of the trauma from our, from our community comes from being expelled from um, from 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 that sort of those loving bonds, right. including our religious community. So, I I'm a multi generation Mormon. My my great 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 grandparents fled Nauvoo, crossed the plains, camped in winter quarters. Um, followed um, the the pioneer trail to Ogden and helped you know build Ogden up, and and my dad's a, that's my mom's side. My dad's a convert to the church, and so I owe my my existence to to Mormonism, to that belonging. Okay. Right, right, right. Yeah. So if it wasn't for Joseph and the plates and the pioneers and Brigham, I wouldn't physically exist in this form. Right. So this is like so so like. Like we talk about DNA, Mormonism, like you, this is part of deep part of who you are and the fear of being expelled from that is so deep. And so for me, to answer your question, I was terrified of, of being expelled from my family and my church that, um, that I just kind of stuffed it down deep, deep and and didn't deal with it. As I said, until much later in my life, um, and, and I sort of had to like reconcile the church element first before I actually came out. Like I had to like, because, you know, you'd made covenants in the temple and, and I'd made all, all of these commitments to God. And so I needed to like figure that out first and then I could like go be gay. Mm-hmm. And so, so for me, so I, I just dove into Mormon history and theology and just was, I was just obsessed with trying to understand the history of, of, of our religious tradition and so that I could reconcile that with God before I came out,
0: mm-hmm.
2: which, so I, so we had, we had like, we had lots of um, interesting conversations and arguments and explorations together. So, <laughs> um, so, but yeah, you know, and eventually, you know, I was able to come out, but yeah.
0: Yeah. So- yeah. Well, thank you for sharing that, Troy. And, you yeah. know, it sounds like there was a lot of stuff buried down that you weren't quite ready to deal with. It. Yeah. Yeah. It's terrifying. It took a while to unpack that, yeah. which makes a lot of sense. You know, I, I think uh, one of my friends, the only once that that denial is a powerful coping mechanism because it gives us time until we're ready to like, deal with yeah. the thing. Yeah. Well, I think about like
2: when I was a kid, like my first like memories of this. Like I remember like probably being I want to say eight or nine years old. I have a very crystal clear memory of thinking to myself, "Why can't two guys?" fall in love and get married that felt like like right to me but um and I, I remember just thinking that in bed one night like why can't that happen and then that gets socialized out of you you know through church and through you know just family etc um and then the, the the worst thing that could have happened because because when you're like a, when you're a queer kid growing up everyone kind of knows or suspects before you do like the bullies in high school do they, right. know, they, got they, quick. they know all the
0: straight boys love figure skating
2: <laughs> right right, right. <laughs> and um and so my sister became very concerned that you know I, i'm probably like 12 or 13 and and we've reconciled what well, i'm gonna tell you is horrible but what 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 uh, but but what i what we've reconciled this and she's she's asked for forgiveness for this but but i remember very clearly she and her husband took me and sat me down as a, as like a 13 year old and asked me if I masturbated. And I didn't know what that word was. I didn't, I didn't know what it was. And, and then she gave me the miracle of forgiveness that explained what, what, what what this, what kind of explained what it was. And I still didn't know, but what it, what, what president Kimball, who was, you know, in the eighties was, um, you know, it was still the prophet. The first prophet that I remember, um, you know, he makes this jump that if you masturbate, you're going to become gay and then if you become gay the next step is bestiality. Mm-hmm. And so I didn't really understand what that was, but I knew it was horrific. And I knew that it was a kind of like a, an abomination. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I and I knew that it was me. And and so I grew up believing that this impulse to love another person, this impulse to connect with another human, I believed it to be this heinous, evil sin. And these crushes that I had on boys in high school was just this, this was this, was Satan trying to pull me off of the path. And it took me a while to figure out that that wasn't true. Did you feel that way, Ben? hundred percent. Me yeah. too. <laughs>
1: yeah. And yeah. I even, I don't know. That just makes me sad. It's like, I was actually talking with my husband about this last night that when someone else says, like, when I think about my own experience it like makes me sad or it's just like, oh man. But when I hear somebody else say it, I'm like crushed by it. I don't know why it just sounds so much more horrible to hear somebody else vocalize it just yeah. because it, I don't know, maybe empathy, but
0: yeah. Yeah, And I think this kind of goes into the, the question we're talking about today is like, a lot of people have gay loved ones or LGBTQ yeah. loved ones, and who are no longer part of the church, but the family or the friends yep. still participate in the church. Mm-hmm. And, for, and for some LGBTQ people, it's incredibly painful. Yeah. And yeah. then- That's why. Yes. Yeah. Right? Yeah. That fear of being
2: expelled from the family is, is that, that source of trauma and that source of pain- And it's connected to the church. Yeah. 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 yeah.
1: Yeah. We get a lot of questions, typically from parents, sometimes from like loved ones or neighbors um, saying, I don't know what to do because I love my membership in the church. I care about this faith community. I feel happy here. I feel connected to God here. And I love my queer kid right, right. and yet my queer kid hates that I go to church and they insist that I leave and that in order to support them and really be a true ally, I have to forsake my membership in the church. And it causes a lot of tension and a lot of families. And it's kind of why we, I actually really love you telling your story. I feel like it really sets the groundwork. Well, you did such a great job articulating the pain and the, the ostracization, mm-hmm. the ostrich yeah. of being gay <laughs> as you grow up. It is, it um, and so I, I think just, I mean, there's a ton of empathy there. I don't know how anyone can listen to that and not feel empathy there, but yeah, let's, let's kind of maybe dive into that idea of like, what do you do if you want to stay in the church, but someone insists that you leave in order to hmm. prove your love for them?
2: Well, well, you, you, you know, it's, it's interesting as I've kind of gotten older. Um, I find that I've, I, I I've had to do a lot of kind of work myself within myself, you know, and, and I will say that like my, my, both my parents have passed on and I hope they made it to the celestial kingdom. Cause that's what they were going for. And I hope that's where they made it. Um, and, but it did, it did, um, harm our relationship in a pretty, um, a pretty significant way when I came out, they never like, you know, they never shunned me. They never, um, Uh, You know, disowned me, but they didn't want to talk to me about anything gay. They did, yeah. They didn't want to ask me about boyfriends. They didn't want to meet my boyfriend, my first boyfriend that I had, and and that was so crushing. and, And our relationship never really healed from it. Did You attribute that to their membership in the yeah. church? Yeah, I did. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Thousand percent. And how did that make you feel
0: towards the church?
2: Oh, uh, I, I, yeah, I went through phases really angry with the church, um, because of, of that, you know, and the, I had sort of lost this relationship with my parents, and 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 so I was sort of bitter and angry. My parents and, and, they, and they and they, you know, they both passed active in the church, um, and but as you know, when you get older, though, you also like, I, th- I think the tolerance has to go both ways. You know, I, I meet with conservative lawmakers, I meet with the church, I have meetings with 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 church leaders. And if I want someone to see my humanity, it's important for me also to see their humanity. And to recognize that that not that the pluralism in America is benefits when people of of diverse views and, and political beliefs and, and faith beliefs um, are able to sort of come together and coexist, mm-hmm. you know. So it so for me, and, and I have got here in Utah County, I've got so many cousins and and, um, and aunts and uncles who are Latter Day Saints and, and active, and I love them, and I've had, but I, and I like spent like a big chunk of time away from them because I just assumed in my mind that they didn't want to have anything to do with her gay cousin, who wasn't just, like, a gay person. He was, like, the gay activist, right, you know? And who was in the paper and getting arrested at protests. And, like, you know, I was, like, kind of a radical kid for a while. You projected rejection. Yeah, yeah, and it wasn't true. Yeah. So my cousins kept like like messaging me like oh I saw you on the news or I saw you on, on this and so and and finally that they kept reaching out to me over and over again mm-hmm. and I kept to, to to protect myself you know I I, I rejected them, but then I, I, I then I started like going um and, and and spending Sunday dinner with them and getting to know my, my my cousins and my second cousins and and what I found is that if if I walked into a space with them. Without the agenda to change their beliefs or to change their mind or to win an argument, then and I respected where they were coming from, Mm -hmm. I found something really amazing started to happen in our relationship. I never told them that they were wrong for their beliefs or their politics. And they were Trumpy and they were like, you know, and, and then they were like politically charged and wanted to, to, to go off on Hillary's emails. And I was like, well, you know, I'd roll my eyes, but like, you know, but, but I, but I would never ever like, I would say, yeah, we probably don't agree on these things, but I, let's figure out what we do agree on. Mm-hmm. And, and so that kind of became my, like, like kind of mantra with them is like, yeah, yeah, probably politically we're not there. Like with, with some religious things, we're not there, but what, do we agree on? We agree on that we love each other. We agree that you know that, we're, that we, we share these grandparents and we share this lineage and we share this history with each other and that, that that's special to us and that's important for us to, to maintain. And, and what's happened over time is that- They all we, turn gay. They all turn, everyone's gay. <laughs> <and> <laughs> um, yeah, is, is that, that, that we have really respectful conversations now about things. And, and I don't try to prove them wrong and they don't try to prove me wrong. And my uncle, who was like super, like super hardcore, like Latter-day Saint, and he, um, he passed away like last year and he was like 93, I think. And my cousins, his kids like found this folder of all these news clippings of me throughout the years of my advocacy and my activism and stuff. He'd been collecting everything about me. And I just assumed all this time that he had no interest in me, Interesting. but he was fascinated by me. And it was, like, you know, I, I but I created this this totally false narrative in my mind to protect my heart and to protect my soul from rejection. I created this this shield, you know. And so, from so so, I think to, you know, get really to what you're asking. The relationship has to go both ways, you know. We you you can't. And the gay kid I know is hurting right the trans kids hurting but we have to be able to sort of sit in a space with each other
0: without insisting that someone change Mm -hmm. troy what would it have done for you if you had known that your uncle was collecting those clippings while he was alive i
2: i would have built a relationship with him much earlier but long before he passed you know Uh, i had a relationship with him when i was little and then there was this big gap and then i had a relationship you know with him when he was like so, he was declining so rapidly, you know, over the over the years that we it was there was a there was so much loss of time, you know, it's gone now, right? You can't
0: make that back. So it, yeah, yeah. I, so I guess the the principle I'm taking from your story is. Loved ones should show their in, their active interest, yeah, in yeah. in their in their the lives of the LGBTQ people in their in their lives, yeah, yeah, and oh, I, and of course every one of their lives, but but show yeah. a genuine interest. And what's cool now
2: is I, I got like cousins at BYU and um and and they, you know, they 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 come to my big Equality to events. Like I have my two two cousins uh who are BYU now came and marched in the Pride Parade with me. And it, you know, it was very cool. And I go to their mission farewells, you know, and so I, like, I, I'm, I'm invested in, in, in supporting them, in, in their tradition and their, the, the, our shared tradition, um, and in their faith. And then they've, and, and what's happened is that they've become interested in, in supporting it, my life, mm-hmm. and, and it's a really beautiful thing that's kind of evolved just recently within the last probably four years.
0: And you don't feel like they have to reject their beliefs or
2: no, no, I, I, you know, there, there is cognitive dissonance that happens. Um, you know, it is, it is a struggle for folks. Um, but to me, it's not an issue of, of being in the church or leaving the church. It's an issue of, of are we going to love more? Are we going to love less? You know? And so, and I always, you know, people ask me, you know, should I leave the church? I always say, if you can, if you feel like you can like, you know, um, sort of radiate love, within this church and you get something from it that, that, that illuminates you, um, and get, and fills your soul, by all means, stay. If it hurts your soul and you feel like you can't be authentic and you can't, you know, connect and really, really, you know, let let your light so shine, then then you you need need to make that choice, you know, because it's not for everybody, you know? I mean, it's, it's not. I
1: I actually think that's really good advice for the, the families in the church to like be able to give that back to the gay kid. Cause yeah. I know a lot of times there's a sense of grief and loss when a, a queer child makes a decision that goes against a parent's wishes or expectations or value set. Right. Um, and yet it is so much healthier to honor someone's agency, yeah. which is like a core
0: gospel, gospel doctrine. Like it's the reason we came here. Yeah. Um, and, and I think about that like also honoring like our own agency, like if, I shouldn't feel like I have to make a certain choice based on external circumstances. Like I have to make the choice that, that is my choice because yeah. I'm going to really have to live with that choice.
1: Yeah. But I mean, I love what you just said. Like if, if you can radiate love and this works for you, then I'm going to do everything I can to carve you space. And I'm also going to honor
2: and believe you if you tell me it doesn't. Yeah. So for for a queer person listening to this who might be angry with their parents <laughs> right? or their family yeah. members, like Remember that we didn't want them to force us into change, right? We have a horrible history of conversion therapy. We have a horrible history of, of mm-hmm. you know, rejecting um, queer people. And so if I don't want someone to reject me or force me to to comply with something that's inauthentic, then I don't want to do that. I don't want to force a, a person of faith um, to change their beliefs for me. Can we just learn to, like, love more, yeah. right? I always made this joke it's kind of a half joke but when I, like especially when I'm talking with like with ch- church leaders you know um, I always I always say well I, I really believe Heavenly Father sends um, queer LGBT um, babies into Mormon homes just to teach us all how to love more than we knew we could mm-hmm. and so for and for the queer kid who feels exiled that's holds true as well how do you learn to love your Religious conservative family members more than you knew you could, mm-hmm. without the demand that they change for you. Yeah, you know, that's, that's that's that's
0: that's a hard, intense yeah. kind of thing. How 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 do you make that work? Where I, you know, you've got this hurt and this pain. How do you yeah. turn that hurt and pain and like and like that poison and like metabolize it into love? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> part of it's getting um, older, and and.
2: Um and just kinda I like hope getting wiser. Um and but and then and it might might require some good therapy. <laughs> a, a, a lot of times it should. <laughs> you know. Um and and I yeah, you know, I, I had a couple moments that were really healing for me. Um you know, I like I have so many healing moments, but one healing moment with my dad was really powerful. Like I My dad never, two things, he never ever asked me about being gay and whenever the the topic would come up, he would change the subject. He was so uncomfortable with it and he would never ever say anything disparaging about general authorities or the church, ever. You would never disrespected the brethren with my dad. Um, And so we never talked about anything and it was very frustrating. I had this really shallow relationship with him. But on his 80th birthday, um, and his health was declining rapidly and I was, he's in Oregon and I'm, uh, and so I was there visiting and I had to catch a plane to go back, I had to drive to Portland and, and catch a plane. And so I had a half hour left with him and I knew in that moment that this was the final 30 minutes I would ever physically be with him ever again. Wow! So I knew that he wouldn't make it wow. beyond this. And so I sat with him and he had the TV On really loud, it so so it was it was a 1980s show MacGyver, Mm -hmm. and it was blasting really loud. And MacGyver was using candy wrapper to stop a nuclear meltdown from happening. And it was so loud that we couldn't. He's amazing. He's so good, (laughs) right? And and so I was I was sitting there getting so uh, upset, and I was like, "This can't. This this is the last 30 minutes I'm ever gonna have my dad." And we're watching freaking MacGyver on TV. And I was getting really pissed off about it just sitting there. And then a commercial came on and he picked up the remote and he muted it. And he said, So did you did you hear that, that the church had passed a a a policy that 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 forbade the, the children of gay couples from getting baptized? And I was like, Yeah. Yes, yes, yes I did hear about that. I'm, I am familiar with this. Um <laughs> and then, then he stopped he said, Heavenly Father didn't do that. Heavenly Father didn't do that. And that like just pushed me back into the couch. I, I was shocked. And I, I didn't know. I, I was just like, I was trying to find words to respond. So I went to speak, and he picked up the remote, and he turned up the volume so loud that I couldn't say anything else. And I... I got in the car, I drove and I, I started crying because I realized that that's, that that took so much for him to say. That took everything for him to say. And that was his way of saying, I love you and I see you and I care for you. and, 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 and I love you more than I love the church. Um, and that was a healing moment that I needed and I didn't need it to be anything more than that. It was just those words, and then we finished watching MacGyver. And that's all I needed from my dad. And then he passed a a month later. So yeah, it's... Thank you so much for sharing that. It's it's very sacred to me. It's a very sacred story. Thank you. It it feels sacred.
1: Yeah. Um, I'm really honored that you felt comfortable to share that here. I really respect your compassion and your approach, and uh, just a point that I want to highlight that I took from that is that when someone's trying really hard, we have to let them try really hard. You know, it like imagine trying hard at something and then have having someone else say you're not doing a good enough job. That's good enough. That that, that. that hurts. And and that brings out protectors that brings out anger that brings out these, the the same protectors that you were using of like, my family is going to reject me. I'm mad at them. Yeah. Like everyone has these ways to protect themselves and their emotions. And it can feel really embarrassing or hurtful to be really working on something and trying to understand your your gay kid, you know, and be met with, This isn't good enough for me. That's really hard. And I really appreciate your
2: grace that you gave your dad in that in that moment. And I probably couldn't have done that like, you know, uh, uh, when, when I was in my thirties, you know, I probably do, couldn't do that, but I, but I could when I was older. You know? Well, I think it yeah. shows patience. Yeah. It, it shows like a,
1: a, a wider view of things, more of like a long, yeah. long approach. But also, it, it, I feel like there's something to be said for operating from primary emotions, because like anger, resentment, um, frustration, those are secondary emotions because they're they feel safer, they're more protective yeah. emotions, and oftentimes what's beneath that is humiliation or shame or pain yeah, or yeah fear fear. and so if and i think that goes again both ways from you know the the queer individual and the the family member to make sure that if you do enter these conversations it's not coming from that accusatory protective place it's coming from a really vulnerable hey this hurt me i feel ashamed and that's going to still be tricky. There's still going to be a lot of tension there and a lot of emotional work that you're probably going to need to do. And yet it'll be free
2: from that warlike defensiveness that causes destruction. And what what that is, we know the neuroscience of all this, it's the amygdala, right? And so when we are, when we are in danger, we fear that we are in danger. We go into a fight or flight or we freeze or we fawn whatever. And it's a defensive posture. And so the sympathetic nervous system is cranked up, the adrenaline's pumping, and then the ability to actually communicate okay. fight or flight. You fight or flight. What everyone does. You're ready to fight, right, or run away or, and or not just to anyone. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, how do you deactivate the amygdala in those moments and get the parasympathetic nervous system to kind of kick in, which kind of calms you down? And it's always um, it's always about breathing, right? <laughs> Taking deep breaths from your belly, going right. to you know, diaphragm, slow, slowly breathing. And then getting curious mm-hmm. when you are in conflict, you know, um, help me understand where you're coming from. Tell me more about why you believe this. And when you get the the other person to start talking, um, and and when your defense defenses drop, then their defenses drop. But with family, it's really hard. It is the most. I mean, the the fear of rejection from your family is one of the most primal primal, um, fears that we have. And so we just, we do, we flare up and we lash out and we hurt each other. And then we have to apologize <laughs> later. Yeah. Um, when, it, when if
0: we could just learn to take a breath and and get curious about why you think this. yeah, I, I think, you know, one of the points you're making, Troy, is that, you know, we have this fear of rejection and a family member being very involved in the church can feel like a rejection of that person. Yes. yes. Because if they're believing in a doctrine and a culture that the LGBTQ love them feels like there is no place for them, yeah. then by subscribing to that belief system, then they're saying that it feels like rejection. Well, and
1: that's a popular sentiment right now. I, I, I even get this for myself because I'm gay, I'm married and I still attend church. And other queer people get really triggered by that mm-hmm. and will say things like, How can you support an organization that fights against e- equality or historically has and and I feel like a lot of it comes to tithing often. It's people are really offended that that parents or loved ones yeah. or sometimes queer people will pay tithing to the church organization, which then, you know, yeah. they
2: view as being used to like strip their rights. Yeah. I have so many like um so many active Latter day Saint families that pay their tithing to Equality Utah, and it's like like lots, and it's this. I think probably they're trying to like reconcile. There's some relationship with a with a family member, you know, and they want they want it to, to really give to the principle of ten percent, um, and and it's important to them to to sort of support the our, our organizations or in circle or whoever I know receive those kind of funds as well, and that's sweet, you know. I mean, it's, it's, it's a it's a it's a I see it as a as a, as a an act of love when someone's willing to do that.
1: Yeah. And, and it, and you know, there are parents who aren't willing to do that. Yeah. And still like, it's hard because it really is it. And this is maybe one of the unfairest, the most unfair things because so often the like marginalized or oppressed person in order to achieve good relationships has to really be patient and give grace even with more pressure on them. Sometimes, and it I just I deeply believe in what you're saying that you have to meet people with the same grace and love that you're
2: anticipating yeah. to receive, yeah. and it doesn't always work, you know sometimes sometimes the pain doesn't get healed, like you know like I, 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 like and, and there's like years I've lost with my parents, and that, that that my parents died without being part of my life, you know, and that's a loss for them. Um it's a loss for the church to like have so many talented, brilliant, beautiful LGBT people leave. Amen. Um it's you know we're all you know and we are here on this planet to like love and connect with each other. And so when we get like really fearful and we start making these harsh rules like you must do this or you're out. Mm-hmm. Um then I, I I think we're really missing, you know, what every spiritual tradition is trying to teach us. Well,
1: it reflects black and white thinking, yeah. which is the most common human thinking error that's like clinically proven to make people feel stuck yeah. and isolated. Right. So if that's happening on both ends,
2: everyone's going to feel yeah. stuck and isolated. I really felt like when I, when I, when I, when my, when my parents wouldn't, meet my first boyfriend. That was like a soul crushing That sucks. Moment. That's It was soul crushing. And I remember like, that's when I really, and then, then we broke up, you know, it was like my first like adolescent kind of, you know, in my, in my early thirties and I had my, my first adolescent kind of breakup. Um, and, and that not having any family to turn to that's while I was going so through hard. like this epic heartbreak, you know, that was, you know, and, and my mental health was so bad, you know, because i have been, because I didn't have, networks of support to like sustain me and my family didn't know what to do and and but and had such a, a lack of curiosity this all comes down to this lack of curiosity for each other i mm-hmm. mean you know why do you feel this way tell me about this experience um and yeah it's it was it was really severe and i'm very grateful for my second boyfriend who came along who um who like taught me unconditional love for the first time in my life. And, um, and and when I saw how pure I felt how purely he loved me and I could love him back, it was so sacred and holy. Mm-hmm. And that's when I knew that everything that I had been taught about being gay wasn't true. When I, when I really experienced the beauty of love, pure unconditional love from another human being who was in my corner no matter what, every human being needs someone in their corner who just who just is there for you when when life is hard, you know? And straight people need that, and queer people need that. And when I finally felt it in my life, um, I was like, "Wow, this is this th- th- this is beautiful. This is holy. This is divine." I do. And um, so, yeah, I love that.
1: <laughs> it's. I think to to the latter day saint person who might be on the receiving end of anger from a queer individual, I would. Say like you have to be the one who models it, like like someone has to start yeah. somewhere, yeah. like modeling that. Um, I'm also Ben. I'm, we talk a lot about Vivian Cass's model of identity development in the six stages of coming out, um, which we've done an episode on that. I I think she's brilliant.
2: Um, what but phase am I in? I don't even know this. You're in, you're in stage six. <laughs> am I? Did I make it all the way out? Oh, yeah, you're in the
0: closet. Fully yeah. Fixed. Yes.
2: This, stage five
1: is identity pride. And it's, I mean, it's a, a, it's a theory for a reason, like so many, do you, are you familiar with this model? No, no. I it's don't. really cool. Um, it actually, it's from, I think 1978.
2: Yeah. It's a big 17th. year. Yeah. It's good one. <laughs> big good year. <laughs> um,
1: and it, it's, was a researcher at a um, university in Australia yeah, yeah. and she followed like 2000 or more, um, queer individuals over like a long mm-hmm. lifespan both quantitative and qualitative study and kind of like put together these six stages of coming out and i think if from what i see it works pretty well it's an old model but it sure. works pretty well yeah. still but within the church works exceptionally well it's yeah. like whoa this is like almost textbook what i see um and stage five is called identity pride and it's characterized by this kind of like rejection of the heteronormative values that made people feel shame. Yeah. So anything that's connected to childhood shame related to being gay, there will be this intense pushback against yeah, yeah, yeah. for a period yeah. of time. And it's you know, families see that and they're like they're being loud, they're being obnoxious, they're at pride parades, they're activizing, they're shoving in our faces. Yeah. Yeah. And and it really is just like trying to overcome this yeah. shame and trauma of, of youth. And I think even what you have kind of said knowing what I know about your story, you're saying I was kind of going gangbusters on oh, activism. Yeah. I was in the news getting arrested. Yeah. And in time I was able to like figure out yeah. ways to be more patient, more understanding while still keeping my gay integrity. Yeah.
2: Well, in a big pivotal moment for me, um, cause you know, cause I went from far right advocacy. Then I kind of went far left and then I had this moment in 2012 um, so it, it, and, and Prop 8 had happened in, what, 2008, which is the California initiative that um, banned gay marriage temporarily in California, the most liberal state in the country. And, so, and we found out that the church was very involved in actively recruiting members to, to pass Proposition 8. And so the, the day that Barack Obama, the first African-American president, is elected, Proposition 8 passes in California, and that's when things erupted in Utah, and that's when I was like this rabble-rousing activist, and there were protests around the temple, and it was angry marches and die-ins and kiss-ins on Temple Square. I mean, it was just—I mean, we were at it um, at, at full intensity. And in 2012, I was called by um, some folks that you probably know, Erica Munson, um, and and Kendall called me, um, and. And and, they, and I didn't know them, but they, they invited me to meet. And they said we are active Latter Day Saints, and we want to march in the Pride Parade. And we we, we have a we we have we're number eighty four in the parade route, and we're gonna dress in our church clothes, and we're gonna march down the pr- parade route singing hymns. And I was like, that doesn't I'm, make any sense. I'm like, I love that. I'm like, I'm like, Erica, have you ever been to a? gay pride is right? not the days of 47 this is the gays of 47 it's very different and and they're like no but we want to do this and i was like ah oh. and then and for the grand marshal that year was Destin dustin lance black oscar award-winning um uh, screenwriter and producer and he um he, he grew up in the church and 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 so he was the the grand marshal and we were like i was like so we have these Latter-day Saints, like marching, they're 84 in the parade route. What should we do? And he's like, well, why don't we like bring them to the front of the parade with us and we'll march with them. And we will signal to the crowd that the Mormons are here, like welcome them. And so, and it was, and it was like nervous, like, I was like, like, okay, let's do this. We're going to do this. And we brought them forward with us. I didn't know how they'd be received and I didn't want them to get booed. I didn't want them to get like, you know, tomatoes thrown at them. Right. <laughs> so I was I was like, white shirt. Right. Come right. On. <laughs> so I was worried about this. I was like really nervous about it. And I did like this media push where I like I was like doing like all these talk shows. I'm like, the Mormons are coming, it's gonna be great. And so everyone welcomed them. And, uh, <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and, uh, please. and then that Sunday morning, um the it was crystal blue skies and it was warm. And three hundred Latter Day Saints showed up in their church clothes, and they had these beautiful signs like like LG, LDS hearts LGBT and sorry I'll we're late you. and I walk with you. And it was it was like three hundred. It was so beautiful. And as we started down the parade route, there's tens of thousands of people in the crowds, and they just started screaming and weeping. And I get emotional thinking about it. They just cheered them all, and and and. They were called Mormons Building Bridges and they were weeping and we, Lance and I were, and the crowd was like people were running out in the crowd, giving them hugs. And it was so powerful. And to feel the love and the acceptance from our, members of our faith tradition that we had felt exiled from was so powerful and so beautiful. And and it changed me. I was like, this is a different way to do advocacy you know, I'll always be a bit of a rabble rouser, but this mm-hmm. to me was was like putting love front, and love first, and like making that the, the center. And that really began to shift how how I would do my advocacy. That prepared me so that years later I could take over Equality Utah and go and sit down with with church leaders and negotiate language with them and come to disagreements, but then work working through to agreement on issues. You know, the church was instrumental in helping us pass the non-discrimination law in twenty fifteen. Um, the church was instrumental in helping us ban conversion therapy in in this state, and there, the church has been willing to engage with us. But I wouldn't have been able to be in a position where I could engage with them unless I'd had those those kind of healing experiences with folks like from Mormons William Bridges. Incredible. Yep.
0: Yeah, I, I wasn't there. I've I've you know read the story of, yeah. of this and, and you were talking about it makes me emotional too. Yeah. And I think that if, if, if I had a loved one who was feeling pain, I would want to ask myself, how can I show that kind of demonstration to them? Like like yeah. what can I do yeah. in like in our little system to figuratively like march to the front of the parade to show love?
1: Yeah. How how can I remove my shield? Yeah. How can I remove my protective anger and say, Hey, I, I'm here with open arms? And and that's scary it is vulnerable to to
2: do that and they i mean they went the, the mormons building bridges folks they like were like they loved it so much they went they got submissions into the san francisco pride and the new york pride uh marches and those are a little bit wilder yeah. than utah's but they were like and so they would so they started like showing up in pride parades all over the country and they would like win awards for like best entry and stuff. And like yeah. everywhere you'd go you know and, I, and, when, I, and when i came to realize from that experience is that when you get a Latter Day Saint ally, they are the fiercest allies that you can ever have in this movement. And so, uh, yeah, I mean, and, and it was their advocacy and their willingness. And and the, and the thing about that day that really um, was also instrumental in shifting me is that when they decided to march people on the left, people on my side, um, started attacking them publicly and shaming them. How dare you come in? How dare you? And this doesn't make, this doesn't excuse what's happened in the history and stuff. And then I got angry at that. And I'm like, how dare you issue <laughs> arrows at these people? And so when they started attacking one of building bridges, I chose to step in to receive those in front of them. Because if you're, if you are going to the mat and you are risking um, your, your reputation, your, you know, whatever, if you're making a risk for me, I'm going to take a risk for you. And so it goes both ways. Mm -hmm. Yeah. If, if someone's trying to be
1: better, they should feel safe trying to be better. Yeah. And I also think like there so often people try to say, well, being an ally looks exactly like this. No, 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 no. And it doesn't like there are, there really are, I believe there are, I took a note. What was it? I'm going to try to. There are benefits that a faithful church member ally can give that people who leave the church can't. Sure. Yeah, and I and agree. that might be hard to yeah. stomach for some people, yeah. but it's true. It's very true. You know, if like, I think growing up, if there was someone in my ward, if you had a Carolyn Pearson in your ward, like, oh my gosh, think of all the shame. Think of like a lifeline, yeah. like at least one person. Yeah. It's when you're in that zone of isolation, knowing that there's one person that won't, yeah reject you that's so important and i i want to see that at church and if someone feels like they can and and does feel illuminated and bright and like they can increase their love within a church setting i like why would we not want that person there yeah yeah yeah. and and it doesn't really infringe on on your, your Ability to not be there if you don't want to right. Exactly and
0: I think it's beautiful for like An LGBTQ loved one who's no longer Part of the church to like be like oh it's so beautiful That you're still part of this community and you love that and I think that for a lot of people they're just Still in a place of so much hurt and pain they just can't see anything Good yeah that's right and and That's when we just need to like listen to the pain And hold the pain with them yeah. And you know I've thought about times when you know, I've never left the church but uh, Times when I've been hurt and When people who I know don't Have the same hurt I have just say like, thank you for sharing that. Like, I see your pain. Yeah. Like, we recently did an episode about General Conference. Mm-hmm. Um, that was, and it was a hard General Conference for me. I got a lot of messages from my friends who I would say are like orthodox believers who did not have any issues with General Conference. Just like, thank you, Ben. I'm glad I got to listen and hear your perspective. Yeah. And just like, people don't have to, we, they don't have to agree with like the hurt and pain we experience. Like, they don't have to like feel the same pain, but just to like see it and like bear witness to it, I think is one of the ways we can like help them heal and like metabolize that poison and turn it into something healing.
1: I think there really are a lot of shared values between like these, if if you look at like the two polarized groups Mm -hmm. there's a lot of shared values of like authenticity, love, like inclusion, there really are. And if you can operate from those shared values, it really can be hard to put your guard down. It can be really hard to be curious and vulnerable to someone at the risk of being, attacked and
2: shamed for it yeah and shame I, for your beliefs and then social media just exacerbates oh, so bad all of that right now and this demand for purity and it which is just ridiculous and it's it's just it's making the discourse and and the actual healing much more difficult yeah it's right it's now. the landscape is really tricky right now but i i
1: really do believe on whatever like polarized side you find there are like values like yeah you we don't have to be like be your authentic self as long as it looks exactly the way i want it to you don't have to be like (laughs) we love everyone's agency except for yours i don't like what you're doing with it like come on guys we're better than this like let's actually practice what we preach
0: and treat people in a way that heals yeah Can I share a quick story? I think you might have even been there. This was when... This was like during a... Been there, done that. That's his (laughs) blog. Yes. (laughs) Uh, But there was a, a tricky thing happening at byu when we were both students and we had like a meeting about this thing with some administrators and one of the other queer students was like if this doesn't happen i'm not participating in this event anymore right and i started to get agitated at this other person and i just wanted to like say no this is why we're doing it this is the way it has to be like i i felt defensive and before i could say anything luckily our friend sarah piped in and said i can tell that you're hurting right now and i'm so sorry that you're hurting yeah and that's just like and and I didn't say the stupid thing I was going to say because yeah. being defensive wasn't going to help. But saying I can tell you're in pain and I'm sorry, yeah. and just that that was the right way. Being
2: seen, having someone see you, is so powerful and so profound. Um, you know, it's so someone set, sees and recognizes your, the pain that you're in, goes so far. It goes so far to actually help heal that. You know, <laughs> and you might have to do it for a really long yeah. time. Like it could be
1: possible that you stay in the church for the rest of your life and pay tithing and go in the temple and your queer kid hates you for it and says how can you take part of privileges that are denied to me because of my identity and like that is a reality for a lot of families it happened, yeah. and and that can become exhausting and and start to bring like that that nervous system out of you know that safe place and yet like I can focus i just Focus on the values, like focus. What would Christ do in that situation? And or on the other side, what would a really love is love, loving, accepting person do in that situation? You show up, you're patient, you be consistent yeah. in your love, maybe set some boundaries if you need to, but always extend like, Hey, I love you. I see you're hurting. What can I do to help yeah. you? I'm curious about you. I want to listen. Yeah. And I
2: think you know, progress is never a straight line. It it it, it swerves and there's U turns and there's it's a gay th- line potholes. Yeah, it's very <laughs> gay. Um, but um, but I like I you know I I just the the, the fact that Latter Day Saints and LGBT people have been in this seemingly intractable kind of conflict, I, I think actually has some kind of divine resonance to it. Because I think we all are in this have this opportunity to learn from each other. And I and I, I know the pain is there and the pain is real, but we also have to take a, a step back and recognize some incredible shifts that have happened with the church over the past decade. And, and this isn't, you know, to, you know, make any excuses for, you know, conversion therapy and and, and the horrible things that happened, but you know, that the 10 years ago um, this December on December 21st um, marriage equality became the law of the land or not, sorry, marriage equality became the law of the land of Utah Uh, A federal judge overturned Utah's Amendment 3, and all of a sudden, thousands of of gay couples went down to Salt Lake County, and uh, here as well, in Utah County, and started getting married. And like 3,000 couples had been married in a week. Hmm. And it was the first time in the state's history, or in the country's history, that that, that a state had overturned a, a ban on gay marriage, and Utah was the state that did it. And... And so that brought us into to dialogue with the LDS church about other issues like non-discrimination laws and protections. And the church started working with us on that. And, and then over time, you know, that the church was, um, you know, like I said earlier, they helped us with ban conversion therapy. And then just last year, the um, there was a federal effort. There was uh, just, just Thomas had, 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 um, kind of ominously warned that the Supreme Court could like overturn the Obergefell decision, which which enshrined marriage equality into law. And so, what had happened is that that a bipartisan effort um, federally called the Respect for Marriage Act uh, legislation was introduced, and it passed through the House with the support of all four Utah Congress folks. They're all Latter Day Saints. And then we needed ten Republican senators to agree to it on the on the on the other side and that was a big lift and the church came out and and endorsed the respect for marriage act and mitt romney senator romney was part of those negotiations and helped get it across the finish line got the votes that we needed and i think in the process of working with the church you know The church was concerned about religious liberty issues. We were concerned about non-discrimination issues. And so we worked together to figure out how both could be protected. But it didn't have to be the zero-sum game where the gays win and and the people of faith lose or vice versa. And the church was instrumental in that. And then that same spirit was brought to the federal level. And and the Respect for Marriage Act didn't force religions to marry gay couples in their temples or synagogues, et cetera. It respected religious liberty. And what I have found with the church is that as we have come to respect their religious liberty, they have grown to respect our civil liberty. And they do not campaign against gay marriage and, and try to, to influence politics in that way anymore. That's huge. And that is worthy of, 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 of acknowledgement mm-hmm. and respecting it. And so in just a decade... We've made tremendous movement in Utah. The Deseret News published a poll in November of last year that 72% of the state of Utah supports the freedom to marry. That is staggering. And so I have seen in my, you know, two decades of advocacy, this incredible shift uh, of people opening their hearts to us. And opening their 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 minds and reconsidering a different point of view, I've seen the church shift. Not to change their doctrine. They haven't changed their doctrine, but they have they have changed the way that they engage with us and engage politically, in a, in a more collaborative, respectful manner. And that is valuable. That's important to acknowledge. And so I'm grateful for that for their willingness, even though we have these immense differences. When I call them, they answer my phone calls and they're willing to sit down with me and my team and talk. Mm-hmm.
0: And that's not, all oh, Southern Baptists do that, but the LDS church does. Yeah. Troy, you're talking about the importance of of engaging with people and and the immense change and power that happens with that. I was thinking about um, some good friends of mine uh, where the wife, and they're a straight couple, the wife left the church very angrily and was always talking to her husband about how angry she was all the time. And that was starting to irritate him, but he was still going to church and that was upsetting her. And they finally decided that every Sunday she could tell him whatever she wanted and he would listen Mm -hmm. and he would hear it. And then he could talk about like the good experiences he had reading the scriptures and going to church and she would like listen and hear it. And it wasn't always comfortable, but they had this time set aside every week where they would just listen to whatever was going on in the other person's life. That was, that was hard for them and it really brought them closer together, even though it was sometimes painful. But I think like this, this engagement is what we, what we need interpersonally as well, like in our families and our friendships. And we'll screw up as
2: we are trying to like sort of walk a higher path and like be more, you know, empathic or compassionate towards people. And sometimes the church will do something or my some family member will do something that pisses me off, you know, and we'll have a flare up. There'll be a conference talk and I'll be angry about something or we'll, we'll all be fired up about something. And, and, and then the, the, the impulse in those moments is to turn away from each other to close the door and to stop talking. But it's exactly in those moments and those minutes, and then those, those, those very crucial minutes where, where you have to make a decision where you have to turn into each other
0: mm-hmm. you
2: know, and, and not close the door of conversation. And there have been, moments, I remember And i you know, I, I've had negotiations with the church. I remember I had one moment, one moment with the church, um, with their like government affairs folks and, and, and it got really intense and really like, you know, and and I had one of my um, one of my attorneys who's like a Buddhist guy. Um, things were the, the other side; they were getting upset with me, and I was getting upset with them. And then my my very Buddhist attorney says, "Okay, both of you, I want you to stay in this moment. Don't turn away from each other. Stay in this conflict and see each other and hear each other." And and it was this really like powerful moment because I you know I just wanted to, like you know step and walk out the door. And because I was willing to stay engaged in those conversations, you know, it, it, we the, we maintain the relationship. Yeah, yeah. So stay in it. Stay, stay engaged in the conflict. We open to being offended.
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Even, I mean, you will be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yet, I, I love that. Yeah. I love this
0: conversation. The only yeah. way out is through, as they say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and and our relationships are worth preserving. Like they're yeah, they're they worth are. they're worth these tough conversations and these hard moments. Yeah. To, to preserve and strengthen. Yeah.
2: And there's growth comes through tension yeah. mm-hmm. and there's no person more difficult to have these conversations with than a family member. Yeah. Right? Because the, the fear of rejection is so primal on all sides. We know, for, first off, if you've gotten to the end of this conversation and you are an active Latter-day Saint, thank you. Thank you for staying. I'm sure some of the things that we've said or that I've said may perhaps made you feel uncomfortable, but thank you for being willing to like, like, but like to be serious and I would say don't send this podcast to
1: your loved one and be like why can't you be more like him why <laughs> like, can't you be more like Troy don't do no that. don't, do, don't that. do that do that you'll yeah. be more like
2: him I like I I think well, I'll end it with you just with a quote from um, my friend Eddie Izzard who's a transgender comedian and she always says we have to be um, brave and curious, not fearful or suspicious. and I really that's a mantra in my mind that i especially when I'm engaging with people who think differently from me and I get a little bit agitated, so be, be brave and curious, not fearful or suspicious <laughs> and that has really helped me navigate a lot of these hard conversations, yeah. so yeah. I love
0: it. Thank you for being brave and curious. Yeah. yeah absolutely. You thank, too. Thank you, Troy. It's such a pleasure to have you here today. Thank you. Can I, can I lead the closet now? Can we get out? Yeah, let's get out of here. Yeah, you're, you're out of the closet with all the questions. Woo! Okay. Thank you for joining us today. If you have enjoyed this or other episodes, please consider leaving a review, following us on Instagram, Facebook, or YouTube at questions from the closet, or sharing this podcast with someone you love. And as always, please remember that we do not represent the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints or Brigham Young University. We're not trying to be prescriptive or tell anyone what to think or what to do.
1: You heard three perspectives and there are many, many more. We encourage you to listen to other voices and hear a wide variety of experiences. If you would like to submit a question or share a comment about today's episode, you can email us at questionsfromthecloset at gmail.com.
0: Until next time.